Hello everyone. Uh, today I'm sitting down with Ian Hopkins, who is uh, an incredible bassoonist. He plays in the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony. He's the principal bassoon there. Um, before that, he got his bachelor's in neuroscience at Dalhousie, uh, then made a career change and did a, uh, what I'm imagining his career change, because you're here now, uh, did a MU's at Ottawa. Uh, he has performed with many ensembles, including the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, the National Arts Centre Orchestra, Ottawa Symphony, former Orchestra London, Stratford Festival, recorded with CBC. He performs as a soloist with KWS, teaches master classes and private lessons, as I'm very lucky to have just experienced. Uh, he's an active chamber musician, and he's done just about every amazing uh, summer festival you'd like to. So, Ian, how's it going, man? <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's going pretty well, but now I have to follow up that incredible intro yeah. with, <laughs> with some interesting answers today. No, no. And you're, you're from Halifax, right? That's right, yeah. Cool. And Because I saw on some of those festivals that you are doing, you did, was it Scotiafest? Scotiafest was actually my first one. Cool. Uh, it was just as I was finishing that neuroscience degree. Yeah. Um, and I thought to myself, I don't know what to do with neuroscience. Um, maybe I'll go do music. And I called up my teacher at the time and I said, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you know, you have to work on your tuning and you have to work on your consistency. And I said, no, no, no. What right now, like tomorrow, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Who do I study with? How do I get there? And he said, oh, okay. I understand. First step will be summer festivals. I am the teacher at Scotiafest. You're in Scotiafest. <laughs> so I, I said, great, awesome. thank you. Uh, that's a good start. So that was, that was my very first festival. And actually, while I was there, uh, Ross Edwards, our lovely principal clarinet, nice. whom I now sit next to yeah. every week, uh, he was there as a coach. No uh, and so at my audition for Kitchener, when the screen came down, I, he was the only person I recognized, uh, and I just thought, oh, I hope he doesn't remember me, because <laughs> that was a long time ago. That's so cool. Ross is so great. He's so active with student musicians. Oh, yeah. NAO and YOYO. That could go, because I go to all the NYO concerts, because I'm very lucky to be That's in good. the city. That's good. You yeah. should, yeah. And, and uh, he's, he's at every concert. I mean, yeah. that guy loves, he's awesome, but. Yeah, he, he loves music. Yeah. Through and through. So, I mean, we're going to get to the music part, man, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> how, so actually let's start with how did you pick the bassoon? Oh, uh, like, I've, I've answered a few times, so I have a pretty good story there. Um, <laughs> everybody wants to know how you pick such a strange instrument. It's not one that yeah. they thrust upon you in grade six band. Um, it's got long arms. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> right? No. So I like many bassoonists, actually started on the saxophone, which is, you know, I understand when people gasp when I say that. But uh, before that, you know, there was, of course, piano and violin and all that stuff. But start a band with the saxophone. And between grade eight and nine, I went to a music camp at Acadia University. And it was really cool. You get to go for the whole week. You get to stay in residence. Uh, it's a great time. And on one of the nights, there was a talent show, and there was a trio of musicians on stage. I don't remember what it was. It was probably flute, oboe, and bassoon. And I had no idea what the bassoon was. But when it stopped playing, the whole 
ensemble sounded empty, like the bottom had just fallen out. There was, there was no foundation to the sound anymore. And I thought, that's a really important role. I thought, that's really cool. Uh, so I, was, I, I called home uh, that night and I said, hey, I just saw the show. There was a big instrument playing. It was made of wood. It was, it was like a big oboe, which I now laugh when people say <laughs> that they've assumed it's a big oboe. But honestly, that's, that was my first impression. It's like a big oboe. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, oh, well, that's probably the bassoon. Uh, your aunt used to play the bassoon uh, in junior high and in high school and in university and after university. She played it for many, many years. Uh, I think she might still have it. And my aunt, who lives in Halifax, where I was living, um, we called her up when I got home. And personally, I just thought it was a really cool instrument. I thought, I'll take it out and I'll play it and it'll be fun. Everybody else assumed that I actually wanted to start playing the bassoon. <laughs> um, it was never my intention. But when it dawned on me that everybody else in grade nine band would probably be in the same boat that I was, mm. where they have no idea what this instrument is, yeah. obviously, when I returned to school in September, I would be the cool kid. Because <laughs> we all know those the band stuff kids. <laughs> <on> the <bassoon. laughs> uh, now, whether that came to fruition or not, I did play bassoon in September and I just kept playing. And it, it was really good for me because since there are so few bassoonists, uh, you know, by the end of the first year, I had auditioned for the All City Orchestra mm -hmm. and I got accepted. Wow. By the end of the next year, I auditioned for the Nova Scotia Youth Orchestra and I got accepted. I like to emphasize, this is not because I was a good player. <laughs> This is because they have no bassoons. They Double needed reads. bassoons. So they gave me the job. And the All City Orchestra, I specifically remember, the first rehearsal I showed up, and the bass clarinet player who was sitting next to me, I don't know, maybe she was playing the other bassoon parts, she turned to me and said, oh boy, we're going to have some tuning issues. And, you know, I've been playing the instrument for a year. Yeah. I don't know how to tune this thing. Yeah. And I'd only been in band for a couple of years. Tuning was not really on my radar. Yeah. Um, but they needed bassoons, yeah. so they they got me in there, uh, and that's kind of worked in my favor most of my way <laughs> through my education. I mean, when I switched from, or not switched, but when I finished the neuroscience degree and was starting music, again, the way that I got there was can only be done because I played the bassoon. Yeah, uh, you know, after Scotia Festival, I went to Demainforger, and. While I was there, I met uh, my teacher for my master's, uh, Chris Millard, mm -hmm. uh, principal of National Arts Center Orchestra, and he teaches at University of Ottawa. Yeah. So he was very diligent about going around and communicating with every student prior to master class. He wanted to know who you were, uh, what grade you were in, where you were studying, who you were studying with, all of that information. And he got to me, and I just you know, vomited on him with information. I said, well, I finished a degree in neuroscience, but now I want to play the bassoon and I don't know how to do it because I don't know where to go and it's too late to audition everywhere and that's that's me. And he just sort of said, okay. okay. And he kept walking. But then he heard me play in master class and he came up to me afterward and said, how would you like to do a master's degree with me in Ottawa? And my jaw hit the floor yeah. because I mean with an undergrad in neuroscience 
I did not think a master's was ever on the table. Yeah. I thought maybe artist diploma program, something like that. Mm -hmm. But here he was saying, I think we could make this happen. Well, never in your wildest dreams could a violinist or a flautist expect that kind of uh, opportunity. Yeah. Because there's just so many. Yes, you're good. But so is that person and that person and that person and that person. And they went through the right channels and they auditioned properly. Yeah. But me, I played the bassoon. You know, Univers University of Ottawa had one or two other bassoonists at that time. I think there were two. There was a master's student and an undergrad student. And that was it. Yeah. So, and I think the master's student was graduating after the next year. So, you know, he really needed bassoons. And... Yeah. He found me, so that's awesome. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so great. How old were you when you saw that concert? When I saw that concert, I mean, how old is a kid between grade eight and nine? Okay, fourteen. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, wow. that's so, so cool. Yeah, uh, very, very affecting. Very awesome. Yeah. That's great. So you did your masters, and what what was that like coming out of a neuroscience background? It was interesting. Um, yeah. Any any music students or musicians who listen to this might hate me, but it was significantly easier. Like, I know a lot of people complain about how hard university is. Yeah. And it's true. It's a big change from, um, from high school. Uh, part of this could be the fact that... So my, my master's was actually three years because my first year... It was like a qualifying year. Yeah. So they had me that doing undergrad courses, you know, some theory, some history, stuff like that. So to be fair, I had already done four years of undergrad. Yeah. And now I was coming back to do some more undergrad courses. Mm -hmm. And you that could be part of it. Play the bassoon already. Well, playing the bassoon is one thing, yeah. but knowing the theory behind it, mm -hmm. totally different. Oh yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know a lot of that stuff or didn't. And I'm, I still don't to the same extent that I'm sure a lot of people do because I yeah. crammed it all in. Uh, and then next year I'm in my master's, I have to put on recitals and you, you just move right on. Yeah. Um, so it was a little difficult in that sense. And if anything, perhaps people who had first year theory should have been better prepared for second year theory than I was coming in and just jumping in. Mm -hmm. But it all seemed so obvious. I mean, they, they taught you what you needed to know. There were quizzes to buffer your marks. Yeah. There were all these things. And it was just, it all just made a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't seem that difficult. And then there was just a lot of people who thought it was the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. And I was always very surprised by that. But it could be because I'd already done it for four years. Yeah. Um, and neuroscience is not exactly a walk in the park. It's Perhaps not. Yeah, I can only, like, I, I can't really imagine what that program is like, but I'm imagining it's pretty demanding and a lot of classes that are... It is, but the, the biggest difference for me in terms of succeeding was that in neuroscience, even now, well, especially now, but when I finished the degree, I didn't actually feel like I knew that much because mm -hmm. they throw so much information at you and... For every course, you might have one or two midterms and a final. That's it. That's your hallmark. Wow. So you come here and you have theory tests every week yeah. or listening tests every second week. Yeah. And each one is worth 5% of your mark. Yeah. And you do 20 of them and you get 100% on all of them because you 
just learn the material yeah. and then you put it down on paper. It's it's such an incredible buffer. Yeah. I mean, there was great. the one course, neuroanatomy, a midterm worth 40% and a final worth 60%. And that's it. You know? Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. But to have all of these opportunities to put your knowledge down on paper, have it graded, mm-hmm. and have that support your final mark, that's... Mm. It was brilliant. Not only did it reinforce your personal learning, you actually, you know, absorb the material, but it also, like I say, buffers your mark. Yeah. Whereas when you've got one midterm, every week you're in lectures, you're taking notes, you're expected to go home and review your own notes mm-hmm. uh, and research in the textbook and all this stuff. And I never wanted to do that. Yeah. So I would, I would look yeah. through my notes, you know, a couple of days before the exam. And of course, since it's neuroscience and psychology, there's hundreds of people in the class, so they're all multiple choice. So you think, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll learn it fairly well, yeah. and I'll be able to make do. Yeah. Note to the reader, you don't learn anything <laughs> when you do that. So yeah, there you go. Finished a 44-year degree, and yeah. I really don't feel like I got much out of it, mm-hmm. which is quite depressing. Maybe a work ethic, though. Uh, for you to come in a to bad music work ethic, apparently. Oh, yeah, I guess now that you say that, yeah. No, if anything, it was not great. Yeah. But one or two music courses, I realized in third and fourth year, I could start taking um, bassoon lessons yeah. as an elective. Wow. Nice. And so I thought, again, they have no bassoonists. Surely they'll take me. Because <laughs> um, if I'm taking lessons, then I have to play in the orchestra. Yeah. I have to play in chamber music. Uh, and so all of a sudden, they have a bassoonist that they can throw around. And it's yeah. very exciting for them. So, yes, they, they accepted me. And again, you know, my teacher would say, I understand you're doing neuroscience. I understand yeah. you can't give as much time to this as you'd like. Honestly, I probably gave more time to that than any of my neuro courses yeah. because it was, I don't know, the, the feeling that you had to was there. Yeah. Whereas in neuroscience, the feeling that you had to put the time in was never there until two days before the exam and you think, Okay, now I really need to learn this material. Yeah. But again, with the music, the lessons, you have lessons every week. You can't wait three months before you practice. Yeah. You have to practice between each lesson. And so, shockingly, you improve between each lesson. Um, so, yeah, I felt like my music courses, the very few that I did, actually received more attention and probably did more for my work ethic uh, than neuroscience ever did. Wow. So... That's yeah. interesting. So, so you get to do the first kind of year at, at, at Ottawa and they make sure, okay, this guy can do theory and yeah. clearly not having too much trouble with the class demands. Yeah, exactly. Um, second, third year, you recitals and then... Standard masters. So you had to take, you know, one or two courses course. uh, and, and your recital. Uh, and there was also a teaching assistantship, which cool. helped financially, but also, you know, took some time yeah. going to courses uh, marking exams and things like yeah. that, but yeah, it was that was pretty much the master's degree, which is really awesome. great because it means that you have the time to practice. Yeah, you know, I was starting quite late. Yeah, and I needed that time, and so yeah, you spend hours in a practice room, you spend hours immersed in music overall, mm-hmm. working on reads. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. So you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things to figure out very quickly, and. It was nice that they give you the time to do that. Totally. Yeah. That's great. And then, so you you graduated your master's in 2012, right? Uh, yes. 
which is the same year you won the KWS job. Yes. So, so what did that turnover look like? Um, so in my final year of my master's, I thought, okay, I'm finishing. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out what comes next. So I actually auditioned um, for a couple of schools. I had no desire to study in the United States. Absolutely zero. Wow. Great. They have wonderful schools. They have wonderful teachers. They pump out a lot of great musicians. I do not want to be there. So yeah. I actually auditioned at two schools in London, uh, the Royal Conservatory of Music, sorry, the Royal College of Music, and um, Guildhall School of Music yeah. and Drama. So at RCM, it was for an artist diploma. And at Guildhall, it was for another master's, specifically in orchestral performance. And I thought, hey, the goal is to get an orchestra job. That's it. Maybe that'll help. So I went over there, auditioned for those schools, and it went really well. They both accepted me, and Guildhall wanted to throw some money at me, and I thought, great, awesome. you guys win. I'm yeah. coming to you. <laughs> that was the plan. Yeah. But then near the end of the year, two auditions came up, and I thought, okay, I'm finishing. I have not taken auditions before, but I'm about to finish school. I should probably try some auditions. So the first one I tried was second bassoon in Winnipeg. And I played the first round and they advanced me. And I thought, well, that's weird. Okay. It's kind of cool. I mean, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Like from people I've spoken to, it's, you know, you do a bunch of auditions so that by your 10th or 15th one, you, you, you start doing well. So again, I think it could be points in the favor of the bassoon in that perhaps there are just fewer people out there, but first audition went really well. Yeah. Uh, so went through the first round, played in the second round. There was two of us. And then they put me through a final round by myself. And I thought, okay, this is very strange. <laughs> and when we got to the final round, I died. No. It just disaster. Now, to be fair, I was sitting in the warm-up room prior to the round saying, I don't want this job. I don't want this job. I don't want this job. Because I was really excited to go to London. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go, go live in England for a couple of years. I yeah. was really excited about yeah. that. And, you know, looking back, I should have slapped myself in the face and say, if you win this job, yeah. you take this yeah. job. But, Could yeah, it just... too. Well, not really. Because it was, it was my first one. Yeah. And I, I didn't understand. Yeah. You know, I've taken auditions since winning this job. And they're scarier now. Because oh. I know. They're scarier because I know what the job is. I know it can go wrong in auditions. I know I've sat on the other side of the panel and I've heard so many other people. It really is sort of a beginner's luck or an ignorance yeah. is bliss kind of thing bliss, yeah. where you show up and you just don't know. All you've done is in your practice room and if you show up and you nail the notes and you're really musical and expressive because you've never played it in orchestra and you think you can do anything you want. Well, the panel hears that and they say, wow, here's this incredibly expressive person. And then once you're there and you're playing it in orchestra and you realize everything else that's going on and this has to be in tune with that and this needs to be rhythmic with that and you can't take as much time here as you thought you could, it's, it's almost rather limiting. And so that audition went quite well, but thankfully they did not give me the job. Um, then about two months later, Kitchener came up on the calendar and I almost skipped it because again, I was really excited to go to London 
and I was really quite sick. And I was in Ottawa and I thought, I just can't, you know, I haven't even played the bassoon in two days. I feel terrible. I can't do it. And I called up my mother and I said, mom, I'm not going. And she said, you're going, <laughs> go get on the bus. You're going. Yeah. And so I did get it wrong. You know, I showed up, I played a couple notes that night when I arrived and then I went to bed, went the next morning and again, advanced through the first round. And I thought, okay, cool. Went for lunch, came back, played the second round, advanced again. And once again, was the only person in the finals. And I thought, Okay, and by this point, you, you sort of forget the fact that you're sick um, because you, you, you can't really think about that. There's too many other things going on. But again, the ignorance is bliss thing. I didn't realize how big a deal it was. And so I showed up and they, they had me play the whole list. And actually, there's a specific moment. They asked for the um, Ravel Piano Concerto, uh, the first movement solo that goes up to high E. And I'm a student. I don't know anything. I don't care about anything. So I just played it and went up to Hai and came back down and said, wow, you, you don't want to change vocals or anything like that? I said, no, why would change I do that? <laughs> like to put on a high vocal so that it's easier to play the high register. I thought, no, you don't need to do that. Oh my God. If we ever play that in orchestra, I'm switching vocals <laughs> because now I know. I've yeah. been in the real world yeah. and I know what it's like and I know how scary it is. But when you're a student and you show up, you just do it. Yeah. There's nothing, you don't think about it. So wow. I don't know. It's very strange. Anyway, obviously that audition went well because yeah. here I am today. Yeah, you got the job. Um, yeah. And that was, that was seven and a half years ago. Wow. So I did not go to London. I came to Kitchener. Actually, I spoke to my teacher on the phone afterward. Uh, I couldn't get a hold of him. I left him a message and I said, I know we have to talk about what to do next. Um, you know, whether... I accept this. I haven't signed anything, but there's the schools in London and we probably need to talk about these things. And then I went to sleep on the bus back to Toronto. Um, and when I woke up, I had a voicemail from him saying, there is no thinking about anything. London is so far off your radar. You are taking this job. And once again, as I look back, yeah, the man is right. Yeah. <laughs> now I know if you win the job, you take, you take the job. It. Yeah. Because, you know, since then, there have been very few auditions that have come up. Most of the ones that have are for much bigger orchestras. You know, I went and auditioned for Principal Bassoon of the Chicago Symphony, just for fun. Yeah. Um, shockingly, I did not do very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's the opportunity came up. Somebody took a chance on me. They gave me the job. You have to take the job. Yeah. You have to. Because yeah. those opportunities do not come along every year. So... Yeah, Absolutely. and now here I am. Yeah, yeah. Transition to life in Waterloo. Uh, yep. <laughs> that took some some time. <laughs> yeah, what's that? What was the move like? Oh, because it's not it's not it's not like you moved to I don't know, Albuquerque or something. No, so I I mean I was moving from Ottawa, um, where all my things were from my degree, uh, and it, you know it was it was very nice in that sense. Uh, I did not have to leave Ottawa and go back to Halifax or mm -hmm. anything. Uh, it was just finish the degree, go into the job, take your life with you. You don't really need much. Once you get here, you have a job. You can mm -hmm. buy anything that you can't bring with you. Um, but, you know, I loaded up the U-Haul and I drove it on over. And my first year was pretty terrible. Uh, really? Well, 
I didn't know anybody. Yeah. The people, everybody in the orchestra is 30 years older than you. Yeah. Um, some 40 years older than you. And, you know, I went out, had drinks with a few people after concerts sometimes, mm -hmm. but generally there was nobody my age. There's no opportunities to meet people. Yeah. Because normally where you meet people is at your work. Yeah. So I didn't have a car my first year, so I wasn't, yeah. you know, joining some sort of, I don't know, fitness club in Waterloo where all the students are or something like that. I was, I was on my own. I lived yeah. a block from the concert hall and I was either sitting in rehearsal, sitting in concert or sitting at home watching TV. Yeah. That's a lot of sitting. That's so sitting. the first year was not great. I put on 20 pounds. I accomplished nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was pretty depressing. Yeah. And then after that year, I thought, no, this, this isn't going to fly. Yeah. So I, I got a car. I moved to another apartment. Uh, I became friends with uh, the orchestra librarian at the time, Alex Clark. Nice. Um, and so then he and I, we started playing squash together. Cool. Uh, I became better friends with one or two of the younger members of the orchestra who are only a couple years older than me. Yeah. Um, they lived in the neighborhood as well. So started started seeing more of them. And now here I am today. And Finally found a nice apartment and you know, the orchestra is turning over. There's more young yeah. people and Absolutely. I try and make an effort to, you know, talk to those people so yeah. that they're not in the same boat that I was. And it's not that people didn't talk to me. I mean, the orchestra was incredibly yeah, welcoming. Everyone was very nice. They, they all talked to me at the first rehearsal and all through the season coming up to me saying, Oh, this sounds great. Oh, la di da. And it was wonderful. Very supportive. But it's at the same time, once work is done, yeah. you go home. You're not, you're not calling them up to go, you know, shoot hoops down yeah. the street. You're yeah. not, it's, it's not that kind of gig. Yeah. So now there are people that I can just call up and say, Hey, let's sit on the couch together yeah. today and yeah. watch TV or Hey, let's just go grab a coffee. And yeah. you know, people who are more my age, similar interests, uh, living close by, um, it's, it's, it's getting a lot better for that, the social aspect of yeah. the job. I mean, heck, even our new music director, yeah. you know, that guy's even younger than I am. <laughs> <just> um, but, <laughs> but whenever he's in town, you know, the two of us always get together. That's so cool. And it's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's a really different environment That's um, really cool. than what it was. Awesome. That's great. So, because I mean, a lot of people go through that kind of transitional period in their life when they're moving away from home and, and things like that. Was there anything you did in particular that helped you kind of make that change? Or was it just a gradual, like, I'm going to get off of this couch and I'm going to go figure out how to... That was... That was it. I mean, yeah. it was... After the first year, I went and did a summer program, uh, L'Orchestre de la Francophonie. Yes. And, you know, it's a lot of young people yeah. with a lot of energy. Yeah. And we were having a great time. Um, and actually I got sick while I was there, uh, still don't know what it was, but I had to go to the hospital for a couple of days and I lost most of that 20 pounds that I put on in the first year. And then I came back to Kitchener and I said, I'm not putting it on again. Good for you. Man. And so finding something to do, whether it's with people, you know, yeah. uh, the librarian, he and I went and played squash by January. I joined the Waterloo Kung Fu Academy, uh, which cool. all of a sudden I had a place to go. Yeah. Every day, if I didn't have something going on, 
I could go there. And not only was it social, got me out of the house, but it was also physically active, physically yeah. demanding. It, it, it engaged me yeah. uh, physically. Yeah. And so it engaged you everything, physically, socially, all of these aspects. And so finding that one thing that gets you out of the house, that's what it was. Yeah. Because that was my problem. I wasn't getting out of the house unless I had work. Totally. So whether it's a friend who, you know, forces you to go walk in the park or yeah. go see a movie or anything, even if what you're doing together isn't particularly physically active, it's getting you out of the house, which is so important. Fresh air, the sunshine, the, you know, it's just really important. So that was the biggest thing is finding a reason to leave the house. Yeah. And fortunately, I picked up a couple. Awesome. Uh, and I've just been adding or trading those since since then. Good for you, man. That's so awesome. I I think as humans we have like a certain quota that we need to fulfill as far as like physical stress. Yeah. Like not not because we have lots of stress, oh, especially sure. in musicians. But yeah. um, I think physical demand on the body is like to keep mentally healthy. I'm I'm convinced it's like it's it's like the, one of the most important factors beyond the mental game of living your life. You yeah. Know? If for no other reason than when you're physically exhausted, you're probably going to sleep better. Yeah. And when you're up all night because you can't sleep, then you sleep in the next morning. You don't feel up to going out again. Yeah. You try and go to bed that night at a decent hour of 11 o'clock. Yeah. You've only been out of bed for 12 hours. Good luck falling asleep. Yeah. So you doze off at 3 a.m. and then maybe you're up again at 4 but you don't get out of bed until lunchtime the next day. No. You have to physically not exhaust yourself but you do have to physically engage yourself just partly for that aspect of you know engaging muscles and all those things yeah, but also for your mental health. Yeah it is really Absolutely. important. It'll help you sleep. It'll just help you be happier with yourself i mean it gets all those endorphins going and things like that as well yeah, so yeah yeah absolutely crucial and i think a lot of musicians forget about that i think a lot of musicians spend a lot of time in the practice room focusing on playing their music yeah. and they forget the fact that they do need to physically engage yeah and as a result you end up with injuries quite often yeah and you think oh it's because i'm practicing too much i think probably not yeah. it's probably because the only physical activity you do is practicing yeah, supporting <laughs> so if you were doing other things like you know one that i'm doing now is rock climbing yeah rock climbing oh, cool. is a great full body exercise yeah and i realize it's a bit dangerous for musicians because it's hard on the fingers mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is you know when i'm climbing those walls and my forearms are exhausted I'm, i feel like my forearms are stronger in the end yeah. and so you're not going to get that same sort of uh, the bassoon kind of leans against your left arm and quite often people will feel it sort of in the wrist mm -hmm. uh, and up through the forearm. And I don't get that because I exercise those muscles. Totally. And so uh, relatively speaking, the demand placed on those muscles when playing bassoon is significantly less than yeah. that uh, of the climbing gym. Yeah. So that's awesome. I don't know. Do you ever, have you ever gone? You're, I'm sure you everyone's gone too far once or twice, but have you ever like had a horror story of like, you went climbing for like seven hours the next day you had to play Bolero? Oh, <laughs> uh, thankfully no, but yes. also yes. Uh, <laughs> so actually there was one at Kung Fu, which was quite bad. Uh, we were doing an exercise uh, where one person's holding um, mitts and the other person has gloves on and they're punching those mitts. 
and I was holding the mitts and I moved my hand too soon and they ended up punching the top of my finger and it compressed it and it was very oh, swollen, no. very bruised. Yeah. And that evening I had to go play, I think a Messiah rehearsal. Oh boy. And it was not great. Yeah. Um, but I survived. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there have been much worse injuries from rock climbing, but they haven't affected the bassoon playing as much because the injuries were in little, you know, tendons and pulleys in your fingers, which thankfully for the bassoon, the fingers are fairly straight. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, lightly curved, but when you're putting your fingers up and down, that action is not taking place through the finger as much as at the base of the finger. So if you have an injury in your finger, as long as you can hold it in one position, you can move it up and down over yeah. the tone hole or the key, and there's very little pressure applied. Yeah. Uh, there's no contorting of said finger, and so actually you can get by. I mean, I had to nice. take three or four months off rock climbing from an annular pulley injury. Oh, boy. But I, at no point did I have to take a break from playing the bassoon. Wow. So, whereas That's if awesome. I played something like, you know, a string instrument where yeah. they're really arched fingers and they're hammering them down on the strings, I think that would be a disaster. Yeah. So I kind of understand why they don't do it. Yeah, totally. I, definitely a benefit to having an instrument that's kind of fastened where it's, where it's going to stay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, we're at that point. We're at that point. I'm going to ask you the big, big bag question. Uh-oh. Um, is that the same kind of food studio that you went to? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not, actually. I'm just, but... <laughs> I'm just uh, no, but uh, I, I think I mentioned earlier for sure. Um, yeah, if, if someone came to you who either wanted to be a musician or um, who's interested in music and was just kind of at a point where they're like, I just, I'm not sure what I should be listening for when I'm listening to music. Cause I mean, I think part of what we learn in music school is how to listen. Um, what, what do you think your answer would be? Like what, like what lights your mind on fire? It's kind of two separate questions. What lines lights your mind on fire when you hear something? Mm -hmm. Like what really, what, what's the juice for you when you hear something? And then what, what what do you kind of ask yourself to listen for? What do you what would you ask someone else to listen for? Because you are so, a very sorry to interrupt you. You're a very good listener. It's so apparent <laughs> when you're playing. Uh, I mean, you, you. a beautiful sound, such refined playing, wonderful musical ideas. But like I just heard you play with Jim Mason, uh, the Mozart oh, right. and the um, Beethoven uh, piano quintets, mm -hmm. and. Like, whether in the orchestra or you're in a chamber setting, one thing I've really noticed about you is, like, you are so incredibly aware of what's going on around you. Like, you're just, your ears are so big. They're so open to what's happening. And it's, it, like, actually goes back to what you first felt about the bassoon. It's like, wow, that's an, that's an important position. And it seems like you've kept that because it's, it's apparent for me when hearing you perform that you are aware of how important your role is in the larger picture. So That's just very, to fly. Very kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I had an, an answer to keep up with that uh, level of, uh, see, the problem is for me, it's not 
it's not necessarily a problem, but it's not complicated. In terms of, you know, if that person came up to me, it would quite simple. I would just, I would tell them, what makes you feel something? That's how you know it's good. Whether it makes you feel happy or sad or anything like that, it has to make you feel something. And if you're not, then what's the point? So, you know, and that comes in varying degrees of, you know, depending on whether this person who's asking me that, let's say it's a seven-year-old who says, I want to play music. <laughs> Honestly, I just tell them, great. And what do I listen for? Not, don't listen for something, just play and enjoy and explore it. Um, you know, take, take the opportunities that are presented to you. If you get more serious to music students and what you're listening for, that's a whole different ballgame. And that'll be different um, from student to student because certain people will already have figured out some things um, and others will need some encouragement in those areas. But the biggest thing is look for inspiration, uh, whether it's from a live performance or recording or just from your colleagues. You know, one of those great things, I always love playing with Jim because he's such an incredible inspiration. So a big reason that you see me listening so much is because I want to hear what he's doing. And if there's anything I can do to make him sound better or to transfer what he's playing into what I play next and somehow connect them more or make us sound like one instrument or trade off what we're doing, you know, anything like that. It's opportunities, it's all opportunities. And so you're listening for opportunities as a musician. This isn't too much as an audience member, but as a musician, you're listening for opportunities to either, it's not even either, to contribute. You're looking for opportunities to contribute. And whether that is directly or indirectly, that will change from situation to situation because you know, for example, if, yeah, if Jim's playing something beautiful, my contribution would be supporting that in whatever way I can, whether it's playing less or he does something funny with the articulation and I, I want to emulate that so that it doesn't sound funny. It mm -hmm. sounds like that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Anything I can do for that. But then, you know, everybody stops playing and it's all on me. This is my chance to contribute something. You know, the audience is listening and they're sitting there thinking, oh, wow, this is really good. I want them leaving that room saying, oh, my God, that bassoon player. And I have eight bars right now to do that. Somehow in these eight bars, I have an opportunity to make them feel something that they didn't feel in the rest of the piece. They didn't feel from anybody else. They didn't feel that morning before coming to the concert. They haven't felt at another time. But here they are, and they're, they're in the zone, they're listening to the music, and then there's this moment. And they just come away thinking, wow. That's, that's the goal, is to make them feel something just really special. So for an audience member, or somebody who just loves music, it's listen to those opportunities, because there are people who are trying to do that for you. Um, and again, whether they're doing it by supporting others or they're doing it in their own right, they're doing it. So you should listen for it. 
that's that's what I would tell them is yeah it's it's very simple it's just listen for what makes you feel something because that's the whole point yeah man yeah. as our music director says it's all about the music he says that to me all the time he <laughs> said, and it's it's almost become a joke where it's it you know we'll be talking about something completely different and I don't know we'll be talking about nice dress shoes or something and we're talking about colored laces which everybody i'm going to put this on the record on this <laughs> podcast now um people have been coming up to me and saying oh wow you have the red laces with the black shoes too that's so nice that you know because andre does that and i said let me tell you something i've been doing this for four years now and this kid shows up steals my trademark um but you know we might be talking about something like that and i'll say oh yeah the laces are the most important. It's all about the laces. And he'll look at me and say, Ian, it's all about the music. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what we're talking about. We can always we can always bring it back to that. And honestly, he's right. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Every time he says it, whether it's whether it's in a, a conversation where it's actually appropriate or not, he's still right. Yeah. So it's all about the music. It's all about the music. <laughs> so um, I don't want to keep going back to your neuroscience bachelor, but because you're, you're a musician, not a neuroscientist. This is true, <laughs> but it does seem to, I was going to say fascinate. It seems to confuse a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. yeah. It's not even confusion. I'm just actually interested in, if you, it's hard to remember back sometimes, but how you're listening and what you're listening focuses changed, like how it adapted and changed as you went from finishing a neuroscience degree and doing bassoon on the side to realizing, oh, I actually really like playing the bassoon and, and then moving through a master's degree. I'm wondering if, if there was, if you can think of any kind of like big changes that happened or I know for me, festivals have been like ear expanding for sure. Uh, festivals were great. I haven't done too many of them simply due to the fact that I was quite late to the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't have the opportunity. Those people who do them all through their undergrad, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's something I missed. Um, there were, obviously the biggest difference I would say was going from Halifax to Ottawa and just having that many, mu that many more musicians to listen to. Yeah. Um, Halifax is a wonderful music scene. It's, it's quite impressive, but Halifax is fairly small. Um, you know, Symphony Nova Scotia, great orchestra, but they can only bring in, you know, so many soloists a year yeah. um, and a certain caliber of soloists. And then all of a sudden you're in Ottawa. And within my first couple of months, Yo-Yo Ma was, you know, coming and he's <laughs> doing a master class. Yeah. Or we went to listen, we got tickets to go hear the dress rehearsal or something like that. And I thought, this doesn't happen in Halifax. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was really cool. That was yeah. very helpful. But but personally for me, uh, the for the listening part, part of the reason I didn't want to go into music was because I really liked music, which seems counterintuitive. But I enjoyed playing music. I didn't want to study it. Yeah. And I was afraid that the moment I started studying it it would detract from that. And, and it's interesting because it sort of did, but then you come out on the other end. Yeah. So 
first of all, just enjoying playing the music, I really appreciate it. Once you start studying, your listening shifts to all of the details. The details are no longer, they might happen or they might not. It's, they have to happen, and which ones am I missing? And how can I change that? And how can I add them? And you, so, you know, that's what the, a teacher is great for, is listening for those details. My teacher always said his job is to make himself superfluous because he wants to teach me everything I need to know to deal with these problems on my own throughout life because he's not always going to be there. So he teaches me to listen by telling me what to focus on. And so then when I'm on my own, I can listen to these things, I can focus on them, I can change them. That's the goal. And the nice thing is, once you've done that and you're supposedly a much better player on the other end, everything that you enjoyed before studying it, just the music and the playing music, you now have so many more tools to do that with. You can, it's not that you stop learning, we never stop learning, but now you're in the real world where you're getting the chance to express yourself on a regular basis and you have all of these tools to express yourself with that you did not have prior to starting to study. Yeah. So that's, that's the listening journey for me from neuroscience to studying music to being a professional musician in an orchestra is just going from simply enjoying it to focusing on it as this all-consuming thing to on the other end realizing it's music and it has to be enjoyed. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Uh, it's funny saying like studying music, you're worried it's going to take away from it. But I think and it's kind of cliche, but I feel like uh, the, the old adage of, you know, you've got to fall down to pick yourself up or it's like to grow, it's going to hurt a little bit. I mean, I think that's yeah. totally in line with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, if you could speak to your, speaking of cliches, speak to your student self about you know, how you're listening or how you're preparing, whatever it is at this point, specifically, ideally around the listening and, and the approach to, to that, what do you think you would say to yourself? Uh, quite simply, that. Listen. <laughs> because Listen. when you're younger, you don't. Yeah. You know? And it's not listening to other people from an audience. It's listening to other people when you're playing. Yeah. It's funny. You say, you know, very kindly that it seems like my ears are always open I'm always listening and I don't always feel that way I, I feel like I could be doing more mm -hmm. and I know I could have been doing more <laughs> when I was a student it's the big thing if you get very focused in your own part and you're just worried about playing your notes yeah but the whole point is that you're playing them with other people yeah and it's not just listening to the other parts, because if you do that, even now, I get distracted by that. Um, and as a student, particularly, if you, you just said today, I'm going to listen to everybody else, you can't just jump in the deep end like that. Yeah. You need preparation before that. You need to know your part well enough 
that you can listen to the other parts. Yeah, because if you've read through your part once or twice, and then you just try listening to everybody else, chances are you're going to get distracted. You're going to lose your count. You're going to lose your spot. You're going to lose something. So it's obviously a crucial thing to do, but you can't do it without the preparation beforehand. Yeah. Unless you've gotten really good at sight reading. <laughs> you know, it's, it's important to, to be familiar enough with your part that you can move your ears outside of your little bubble totally. and start listening to what other people are doing. So that's exactly what I would tell yeah. myself as a student is listen to other people, but make sure you're actually putting in the time to learn your part first. Yeah. Cause that's something that took a little while for me. I think I was one of those people who thought, Oh, I can sight read stuff and it'll be fine. Oh no, <laughs> no, you know, as the years went by, I realized that's not a good way to operate. Yeah. So you do have to put in the time. And it doesn't mean spending five hours looking through the score to see if this person has the same note as you hear. And then, oh, two bars later, this person has that. Okay, there's, there's definitely a degree of overkill. But prepare your part. Be aware of what else is going on. And then when you sit in the orchestra, listen for those things that you're now aware of yeah. that are going on. Yeah. You know, who are you playing with at what time? Yeah. Uh, who's who, yeah? Who's coming in with you? Who are you trading off with? That sort of stuff. That preparation not only allows you to listen to other people, but it also makes it a lot easier yeah. because you're expecting it, and and it's no longer purely reaction. You're you're prepared. You're almost creating those opportunities for them, whether they know it or not. You're handing them this line. Yeah. You are finishing this line and they are taking it over. Hopefully, yeah. And if, and if they've done their research, they know that. Yeah. But you can't control that. Yeah. You cannot control their level of preparation. But what you can do is do everything within your power to give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Because you know it's coming. You've prepared. You're listening. You're listening to them as they come in. You're listening as you finish. And that trade-off happens. And so... Listening and preparation. That is what I would tell my my, my younger self <laughs> awesome. and my current self. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, yeah, awesome. Did you do a score study? Not really. Yeah. Do you are you like a listener? Yeah, yeah. It, for me, it's it's a listening thing. If I look at it, and I found this in my neuroscience degree as well, reading the notes, it just didn't translate to anything. And that was something that I really appreciated in music was, yeah, sure, there's reading and writing, but there's so much more listening. Yeah. And when I hear it, I can absorb it. Yeah. So for me, my preparation is always practicing my part, obviously, but listening to the pieces and just, you can get everything from it. Yeah. You know, listen to a couple recordings, see what people do differently, but generally you listen to it to get the idea of how it goes to get the idea of what other people are doing around you. And then ultimately when you show up, you do you, you know, I always worry about people who do too much listening to what other people do and then just try and emulate it. I, I almost always try and read through something first before listening to it, just so that I get my initial impressions. Just, and, and you know, you'll, usually you'll get tempos and stuff from it and you'll go through and then you listen to it and you'll think, yes, I was right about that. Oh, I don't 
like how they're doing that. Oh, but I really like that. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. And so you go into it with an idea. And it's just, it changes a lot, you know? There's no point in just trying to recreate what other people are doing. You, you got to do what you want to do. That's, that's the whole point of why we became musicians. We didn't want to just listen to what other people were doing. Yeah. And there's no point in just making a carbon copy of what they did. Take inspiration from them, by all means, absolutely. But always try and make it better, or different, or more interesting to you. Mm -hmm. Because it's so subjective, you know? Theirs is not perfect, there is no perfection. So, really, you can do anything with it. Within reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Within reason. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this. Really appreciate it's a it. It's pleasure. Thank you for having me. Is there anything you want to plug before we sign off? Any concerts coming up or books that you think are amazing for people to read when it comes to music or albums, uh, specific <laughs> recordings, anything? Uh, not particularly. I mean, you know, we're actually about to go into our Christmas break, yeah. so there's not a lot of concerts yeah. coming up except yeah. our our Yuletide show, which will be done by the time this airs, I'm sure. Um, but well, it has absolutely nothing to do with music. But go read the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Potato Pie. Potato Peel Pie. Potato Peel Pie. <laughs> yep. Oh, good. That sounds good. Probably my favorite book. Really? If you haven't read it, you should. It's historical fiction around just after World War II on the island of Guernsey, um, yeah, between France and England there. And it's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's always my number one recommendation. So if you say, do you have any recommendations? I'm going to take the, the chance, one. plug that book, go read it. It's awesome. <laughs> and if, yeah. you, if you had one or two recordings that were like, for you, like just evergreen, like anytime you want to listen to good music, this recording or these recordings are... Uh, for me, it's not a recording. It's just a piece. Mahler two. Yeah. Any day of the week. Yeah. If I've got a long train ride or a flight or something, I'll just put on some Mahler two. I don't really care who's playing it. They can't mess it up too badly, hopefully. <laughs> but it just, uh, yeah. Tears near the end. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah, which is why, I mean, I almost hate playing it because it's very difficult yeah. to cry and, and play the bassoon at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was Jim Mason who said that. He said, you can't cry and blow at the same time. And this was just before, it was after something we had done. There was a really meaningful piece that we had done uh, with with uh, indigenous poetry. Um, was that his the, the last signature series? I think so, yeah, because then we played the, the Mozart yeah. uh, together. Um, and yeah, so played the first piece and then went off stage Yeah, and I'm holding back tears because it was so beautiful yeah. and we're about to walk on and play it solo. And he says to me, you can't cry and blow at the same time. And I just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> so then we walked on and we, we played the Mozart. Awesome. So, man. Yeah. Thank you so much again. Uh, it's a pleasure. <laughs>